Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back to 2011 and look at the World Cup with Squidge. Hello and welcome to the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective, the podcast that is finally through this pool, that has finally got to the other end of the pool in which more kicks are... I think more kicks are missed than got. I think there's there's more missed kicks than actual times balls hit boot. Yeah, I think so. I and think we're, we're probably about the 30% mark in terms of goal kicking in this pool. <laughs> I was meaning to work it out again after I did it with two games yeah. to go, um, but it's whew, it's it's a fun one. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Mr. Will Owen. How I'm are you doing? very well, thank you. And you know what? I don't care how you are, so I'm not going to ask back. Great. Uh, I'm just as well because it would have been a really long answer. And I'm also joined by from the Times, from t- a really good follow on Twitter. If anyone doesn't, uh, Mr. Elgin Alderman, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm delighted to be uh, making my Squidge debut today. Uh, hopefully the street cred can go up uh, among <laughs> Sam Roberts' children, uh, which <laughs> if you weren't listening to the last edition of this podcast, sounds creepy. And uh, if you were, also still sounds creepy anyway. So uh, no, I'm just delighted to be here. Is that your target? Do you have like a bar that you're measuring against, like yeah, in a video I, game? My just... litmus test is hopefully I'm very popular amongst the yes, the, the children of freelance commentators. So yeah, that, that, that's what we're aiming for here. Well, basically the plan <laughs> is that at the end of the pool stages, we're going to get everybody we've had on as a guest and their families to rate each other and we'll see who ends up on top and therefore they have the most street cred. So I think you've landed in a pretty good position to start with. Yeah, exactly. Blaine Scully is really shot oh, up amongst Nick Heave's husband. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which probably just because he's an incredibly handsome and charming man. True. But yeah, so the game we are here to talk about today is Argentina's twenty-five-seven win over Georgia, which I think you'll all agree with me saying is perhaps the most iconic and famous game of, of this World ever. Cup. I, I didn't even have to rewatch it. I didn't even have to rewatch it. It was just all etched on my etched in my brain. Everything that happened. So, Elgin, what are your sort of general memories of this World Cup? Where's where does it it, it find you? That doesn't work. Uh, that doesn't make sense. This, but... this World Cup found me at a seminal point in my life, and in fact, this day was a seminal mm. day in my life. This oh. my first day of university. Uh, wow. Uh, so this game kicked off. I think it was the two a.m. kickoff on the Sunday mm. morning. Uh, which I is, think you're right. Which I did. So I did not get up for it on the day. I got up for Wales Fiji, which I think was on at seven or eight a.m. Maybe mm. watched that game. Yeah. Watched Wales bizarrely actually beat a team convincingly, which just never happened, even when Wales were good. Uh, I remember my dad turned to me and said, "We could win this thing," and I was like. Yes, I think we could win this thing. And then I went to university. I was late for university because I was watching Wales Fiji. Yes. It was a long time away. Uh, but that is the reason I did not watch this 
match at the time because I think 2am would have been a bit too early for the first day of university, but oh well. Maybe in hindsight mm. I should have That's a it. very poor excuse. That... University, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, this, this tournament hits me at that point where I go from childhood basically never having spent more than five days away from home before uh, to being at university and two weeks in basically crying in a bar because Wales have lost 9-8 in the semi-final in a strange land so there we are <laughs> mm. where 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 did you go to uni if you don't mind me asking uh yeah sure in the uh, northeast uh, Durham so a long way away oh, from cool. South okay. Wales. Um, there were about three Welshmen in my year mm. uh getting up at five we got a 5am for the Wales Island game uh, in our black tie after a dinner the night before. And yeah, just I remember the three of us sort of just being really, really sad two weeks later <laughs> when, yeah. when what happened happened. You did find each other in your... Yeah. Well, well, absolutely. I mean, I we had some of us had roommates, so my roommate was a Welsh person, mm. so they, they right, had okay. just two Welsh people together. Uh, they thought, well, he's called Sean and he's called Elgan, so let's put them together. <laughs> Uh, was your memory of this World Cup generally? Did you sort of aim to get up for every game, bar Georgia Argentina, or did you sort of watch the highlights? I remember getting up for the Scotland Romania game, which I think was mm. the two AM game on the first weekend. Correct. I remember. Yeah. I remember really, really. I mean, sorry, my Celtic brethren, but I remember really wanting Romania to win that. I think they, yeah. were they leading until about ten minutes left. I think yeah. it was twenty or twenty-one, something like that. Um, so I did get up for a lot of them. Um, the only group games I really remember are the Wales games, the, the one-point defeat to South Africa, hmm. yeah. uh, the half-penny rearranging his head guard against Samoa, and yes. uh, then just try against Namibia. I remember all of the Wales games, and then only really the knockouts thereafter from the first two weeks of my new life in the in the northeast of England. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I remember having sort of the opposite experience when I started uni of there being sort of the first Six Nations being, there was someone in my group in halls who was an England fan, you know, and sort of didn't watch the Premiership but watched every England game. And we sat in our separate rooms and watched it and then came out and talked to each other at half time, which didn't feel like the, the communal experience when I look back on it, but it's probably for the best because it was the year when, oh, it's probably a lot of years, but England were battering Wales, but Lee Harpenny kept kicking penalties from absolutely everywhere, and they sort of remained in it for way longer than they should have done. Yeah. So that is an interesting anecdote, but there you go. It's very interesting. Thank you. I was interested. Um, yeah. My, I mean, the thing is, during this World Cup, I was still in school, so mm. a lot of the time I was getting up at like 2am and then going to school afterwards and just flagging and just trying to like wing my way through all of school. And basically my memory of this game that we are allegedly talking about today was that this is the one game in the whole World Cup that me and Robbie were told the night before we weren't allowed yes. to watch it by our parents because we'd, we'd done it too much. And as I think it was on the Sunday morning. I think we probably both had rugby because training that morning. So this right? was the earliest kickoff um, yeah. of the World Cup. So... In all the other games, they'd sort of started at UK time, like 4, 5 a.m. Yeah. And run on. Whereas this one, for whatever reason, was at, I think, like 1 a.m. Yeah. And then there was like a four-hour gap. And then there was another game, rather than them just running through. So, yeah. So, I remember us being told we couldn't watch it. So, I sneakily, that night, stole our dad's laptop. And we sat in William's room yeah. upstairs and watched it with head, a headphone in either ear, not talking. Yeah, we had to be super silent. And like, you had to really like creep into my room and just like onto the bed. And we were just having to make sure yeah. we made no noise at all. And yeah, this is the first time we ever confessed to having watched this glorious game of rugby. Yeah. Which is this is the history. first time we've been able to talk about it. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, because <laughs> we've been closely monitored since, yeah. you know. It was a I state mean, secret. Yeah. I doubt stopped monitoring whether or not we watched this game five years ago. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. When, yeah, when he stopped monitoring Maybe that was else. why. Maybe that's why he went, because he, he found, found out, out we watched this game. Yeah, and he just thought, <laughs> And he just well, went, I've had enough. Yeah, you're not my children. <laughs> These traitors. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I remember uh, Lasha Kamalatsa's try quite mm. vividly and having and thinking, "Oh, that's quite nice," but not being able to make any noise or say it, you know. Yeah. But I don't have much other memory of this game uh, until watching it yesterday. Yeah, that's all I remember is I remembered looking at Felipe Contopomi on a laptop, um, which I've done many times since uh, for many different reasons with many different effects, uh, and I remembered Kamalatsa's try, and that was it. Yeah. So we've got a strong panel of people to reminisce, really, over this. Um, should we begin? Should we? Should we touch on the teams? Should we look at the teams? Because there's a handful sure. of change in the Argentine team. Um, so Imoff comes in for Camacho. Uh, well, Amorosino starts a fullback. One particular very important change, which is that they've finally dropped Martin Rodriguez, who <laughs> yes. has been. And I I don't mean to be over dramatic here, but he has been dog shit so far. Hmm. The, stage of this World Cup. And Amorosino, who has been insane, he's been electric, for want of a better mm. word, the whole tournament thus far. And him coming in at fullback was an absolute delight to watch the whole tournament. Yeah. And Amorosino is one of three Welsh rugby legends in this match, isn't he? A one-year Cardiff Blues man. And then there's, mm. on the bench, Thomas Vallejos Sinali. Of course. Who has a very poor stint at the Scarlets. In fact, he was included in Wales Online's biggest ever foreign flops in 2016. So, wow. you know, he was really, really down there. And yeah. then Georgia, Georgie Nemsadzi on the bench for Georgia as well. So yeah, there's a, there's a Welsh rugby legend in, in the match days. Yeah. Course. It's like that way that um, the Scarlets still hang on to Herschel Yanchis and say, like, oh, congratulations to ex-Scarlet Herschel Yanchis when he played about 13 <laughs> minutes off the bench for them once. And you often say, don't you, Robbie, that he's Scarlet's yeah. legend. Scarlet's legend. There's, they're, yeah. Soon they're going to run a poll of the greatest ever player and he's going to narrowly lose out to Phil Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Argentina win over New Zealand was powered by Dragons legend Teta Shaparo. So that's just, that's just the way it works, I'm afraid. What a weird career, career Shaparo's had. Because he... <laughs> He was this sort of average player. Signs for the Dragons was dog shit. They let him go after a year. And then suddenly he becomes really, really good and starts yeah. starting for Argentina in World Cups and is they beating the All Blacks and dominating them at the scrum. Yeah, playing both sides of the scrum as well. Yeah. It's bizarre. I remember with um, Thomas Vallejos that the, the Scarlets tried dabbling with him as a seven, didn't they? Yeah. And he was a second row and it just did not work. And th- didn't they flog him mid-season or something? He, he went he really, played yeah. eight games and then went. I think oh. he might have gone back to Argentina, possibly. Right, yeah. Sounds about. I remember him scoring a try in the corner once, unless that was for Argentina. But I, I think from a charge down, six sticks in my head. Okay, I do not remember this. Clearly, my knowledge of Thomas Vallejos is <laughs> lacking because he he went to Quinns after, didn't he? Oh yeah, he played for Quinns. Yeah. I'm not sure this is fascinating podcast listening. No, yeah. Um, Welcome but... to the Thomas Vallejos World Cup retrospective. Because in a matter of moments, anyone could have typed his name into Google on the phone they're listening to this with and yeah. found out for certain his career stats. Oh, but... this is his test debut. Really? This game. Yeah. Huh. And the only World Cup match he played. 
I knew it was uh, Agustin Gossio's. I didn't realise it was uh, someone else's right. as well. I don't remember Agustin Gossio at all. So he scores no, the try at the end of the game, doesn't he? But I, mm. I have no memory of his name at all. I think he oh. played he played twice the following June, and that was it for his international career. These oh. these three games were the only ones he played in. Yeah. One try in the win over Georgia, and then started on the wing and one in the centre against Italy and France the following June. Huh. Oh, Again, okay. no memory of him. No. But that's the great thing about this, going back over these World Cups, is the amount of players... I mean, I remember more of the Georgia team than I do that Argentine bench, almost. Yeah. Like Augustin Creevy, who's he? The Georgian bench almost looks better than the Argentine bench, other than, yeah. you know, Creevy and, and Selza. They've, still, Selza, they've still got Jabba who's been a very good player for a very long Absolutely. time on the bench. yeah. Nemsadza, as you say, Osprey's legend. Uh, Merikashvili. <laughs> Malagarazza mm. coming on on the wing, according to this. Yeah. Which seems a weird prospect but obviously he went on to get a lot of caps isn't he approaching 100 caps Malagaradza? oh um, he's, yeah yeah he's 99 caps on 99 wow on 99. he last so, played in march so he's i don't know if we'll get another one but he didn't feature in the in the autumn so maybe mm. he'll be stuck on the dreaded 99 Who knows? i really hope they do what they did for martin williams where they just stage <laughs> a test match against like a random club team and just say yeah this is a test match so, yeah yeah, so they can bring him on and he's got his 100. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Georgia team, again, a couple of changes. So Urkashvili comes in for the glorious, gorgeous Merab at fullback. Otherwise, pretty much as it is, the front row's probably changed, but it's hard to keep track of which Georgian props are playing when because they had so many good ones that they just switched them in and out. And then they have that kind of infamous back row with Koliashvili, who I think goes the entire game without giving away a penalty. Oh, I didn't which, notice. I didn't really yeah. notice him actually, no, which is probably but... good. I mean, I assume that he didn't like secretly get a red card in the first minute, <laughs> and I didn't notice him for that reason. Yeah, but yeah, I think this is the first time I've ever seen him go a full game without giving me a penalty. So fair play to him. Yeah, um, not even any cards. Track it's not. But also, that is a massive back row: Chikadze, Kolilashvili, and Gogodze at eight. And I mean, I think we were all begging for Gogodze to get a game at eight because obviously Basilai has played well with the rest mm. of the tournament. But obviously, Gogodze playing against both Georgia and no England and Romania and being Georgia's standout player, and he was already on the map from the 2007 World Cup. But I think this is when people sort of looked at him as a world class player rather than just a good yeah. player. And like him murdering Chris Ashton on the wing against England and just generally dominating Romania because he was hungry. I think I'm glad that we got to see him have a run out at number eight and he had a very good game. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I say, it was sort of him establishing himself because he'd started playing for Montpellier at this point. Yeah. And by the time he came back from the World Cup and he was playing for them, they were now in the, changing, uh, the, the Heineken Cup as it was then. And he was properly, he became a force. He became a kind of rugby household name after this. Yeah. So do you want to start looking at the, the game itself? Or should we sure. just avoid it at all costs? <laughs> because I'm, I hate to say this, but... All four of the games we've had Georgia in have felt like a little bit of a chore. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily Georgia's fault, but Scotland against Georgia was a bit of a nightmare, and it's 15-6. England-Georgia felt like they were kind of winding England up a bit, and that was fine, but Mm. whatever. Georgia-Romania was a complete slog. And this has just been kind of a game of rugby where Argentina just went out and kind of did the bare minimum and Georgia didn't really do much to sort of look threatening even though they were leading at half time I have about two notes from the first half really (laughs) 
there's there's almost nothing of any note. Elgin, sorry, sorry, this is the one you ended up with. Sorry, this is uh, <laughs> we've made you. Most of my notes are about the color of headguards players were wearing, so that's Ooh. absolutely fine. Well, do in, do tell us more. Uh, so the, the the main part of my notes was mainly that I noticed that five Argentina starting forwards are wearing headguards. Now I don't okay. know if Opta have any numbers on this, but that seems that's a lot of headguards <laughs> in one starting pack. Yeah. Now Marcos Ayerza is mm-hmm. rightly wearing a dark blue one. He's gone for the Justin Tipperick, Trabanos approach. I'm wearing a colourful headguard so that everyone thinks I'm having a great game. And the Or play for Trabanos. And plays for Trabanos. A fact which has to be mentioned every time Justin Tipperick plays rugby. <laughs> the other four are all wearing identical light blue and white headguards, which mm. means that you just can't identify who's doing what at any point. And so the entirety of the back row... And second row just becomes one person. You don't know who's playing well. They had a that. great game, though. One... I was going to say, I thought like everyone was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm all for really... you can You can recognise Albacete, if only because he's just one of the archetypal lock forwards of sort of Northeast Heineken Cup. Hmm. He's just the man you need to, to lose. What, what... So you, you know what's going on with him, but with some of the others, you, you're never quite sure which one's doing the high tackle, which one's uh, getting the knee off the ball. You're not quite sure which ones are doing which. They don't make many men the shape of Patricia Albacete, do they? Quite like, rightly. He's... The world, <laughs> yeah. the world. I think that with this Argentina team, there are three body types. So one of them is wearing a blue scrum cap of some description. So you look at that and you think, okay, that's one player that could be. Another one is floppy hair, such as Marcelo Bosch, Gonzalo Zamorosino, Imoff at some points in his career. And then the third one is Contopomi, who's got a shiny bald head. So you know who he is at all times. There's no confusing him. He stands out so much every time you see him. And not just, you know, because... This was by the stage of his career in which Contepomi, he was a little bit of Sergio in him, but at this point he was full one-man team. Yeah. And I think he maybe even out a bit in the World Cup just because Argentina were good, but he was very distinctive and he was playing very distinctively because he was playing like, I am the shit. I yeah. am the guy. I, do I am actually, Sergio Parise. The, another thing I remember from this game, from watching it live, is mm. when Contepomi scored his try in the second half, you like whispered in my ear, one-man team. Yeah. I don't remember that, yeah. but I remember thinking that really hard when uh, Argentina played France the previous year before this, mm-hmm. and he scored those two tries. And the second one is absurd because he should have passed about six times to about fifteen different players. Yeah. He absolutely should have passed on his try here. Which, oh yeah, I know yeah. we're skipping ahead and a lot, but so Argentina a... get into the twenty-two. I think it's uh, Cabello gets tackled, and they spread it wide, and they have like a three-man overlap. And Contepomi looks like he's the only person who is marked, and he still goes himself. And annoyingly, he scores. Yeah, well, because everyone's trying to drift out to cover the other men because mm. they think, well, everyone, someone's, someone's got Felipe, and instead he does a really awkward step and goes round, and Juan Imoff outside him does the classic wingers thing of not celebrating a try for a teammate when they could have passed to you. The main and when Contepomi scores, he looks so peeved at what's been going on. I feel like in this game, he is setting the template for Johnny Sexton's later career because he spends the whole <laughs> match getting absolutely smashed off the ball. There's one point where he goes on a crash ball and just gets driven back by three forwards. He gets spear tackled off the ball. He gets smashed off the ball again at another point. And by 65 minutes in, he's just thinking, "I hate rugby. <laughs> I'm having a terrible." <laughs> Afternoon. <laughs> you know what's happened to Sexton in every game ever since. People just that... constantly tackling him off the ball. 
Do you think that's what Felipe Contepomi's job title at Leinster is? That he is oh, yeah. there being smashed off the ball correspondent? Absolutely. <laughs> There's one point where he smashes Lucas Amorosino off the ball as well, where mm. George has take a high ball in the air, Amorosino comes up from fullback to take it, and presumably he would have caught it, stepped around the entire Georgian defence and scored this wonder try, uh, even better than his one against Scotland a week prior. Sure. But instead, Contepoe just runs back and just completely bodies him. So Amrosino obviously drops the ball. Yeah. And Georgia get put into a scrum. But Contepoe just had zero special awareness. I don't know if it was a kind of thing of like, oh yeah, I'm the one-man team. I'm going to catch this kick. And you don't get any say in this, Lucas. But for some reason, he just decides, right, clearly after my offside last week against Dan Parks, I have to be so far onside that I am literally tackling my own fullback. <laughs> he also, because he's the captain and the goal kicker, and you know he wrote the theme. To, he wrote the national anthem. He wrote. He does. The goal kicker is a strong team. word. He does everything. Long exactly. A lot he... of time writing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it does stink the Argentine anthem of someone that's only ever written one song. <laughs> one uh, wonder. You know that thing of an how album. <laughs> that that yeah, they just shove it all in one song. It's it. You know that thing if they say everyone's got one novel in them. Sure. It's a bit like that, right? If everyone had one song in them, and this person spent their entire life writing the Argentine national anthem, and it comes out as like Black Star, you know, it's like this <laughs> ten-minute opus on life that goes on seemingly forever, but is not quite as profound as David Bowie could accomplish. Do either of you know what the Argentine anthem is actually about? Because I don't. I've read it before. I've read it before. Oh. We have, of course, previously done deep dive, lyrical deep dives on uh, Scribe and P Money's All Black Everything on this podcast, but we've not done a national anthem before. Yeah, I've, I've definitely read it before. Okay, here we go. Are we ready? Yes. Yeah. It begins in English. Mortals! Da, 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 oh, sorry, yes. Da, 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 da. We've got five minutes for the build up. It's fine, then, yeah. Carry on. Etc. Um, so it begins in English. Mortals, hear the sacred cry. Wow. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Hear the noise of broken chains. See noble equality affroned. Rises to the heights of the earth. A glorious new nation. Its head crowned with laurels. And at her feet lying a lion. We haven't even got to the lyrics part yet. That's just the build-up. How have they conveyed all of that? That's, that's when you do it interpretive dance. I actually quite like that. And there is something almost Bowie-esque to uh, some of those lyrics. So uh, I'm, I'm in. His head crowned her laurels and at her feet li- lying a lion. That is, isn't it? That's that's proper like, like thin white Duke era. Yeah. <laughs> May the laurels be eternal, the ones we managed to win. Let us live crowned with glory, or swear to die gloriously. They rhyme glory with gloriously. To be fair, like it makes sense how pumped up the Argentines always get to the actual bit with the words. Because you mm. can see, and in this game it's also prominent, that the Argentine fans always jump up and down to the instrumental bit, like really pumped up to eventually yes. sing these words about you know, dying for your country or whatever. Uh, so clearly, like that's it. Is there's like three sort of three points. There's the the instrumental build up, the lyrics, and then the eighty minutes of beating the shit out of your opposition that follow it. <laughs> Did not respect. No, that's not respect. Mountain Nor ranges and walls are felt to resound with horrible din. The whole country is disturbed. 
by cries of revenge of war and rage. In fiery tyrants, the envy spit the pestilence bowel, bile, sorry. Their the bloody standards. Yeah, just, just <laughs> having a massive shit. They rise, provoking the most cruel combat. Don't you see them over Mexico throwing themselves with tenacious viciousness? I love any anthem that mentions like another country. It's like, they're shit. Yeah, it's like a diss track, isn't it? Exactly. I think, a... I think more countries ought to do that. Like, they just go on the attack. Like, I feel like there should be an extra verse to Flower of Scotland, where which I'm already aware is about, you know, England. And, yeah, it's uh, about one time know, they beat the Edward's shit army. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like there should just be an extra verse where you just get like some kind of Scottish grime artist on there to sort of start spitting bars about how like the English well, is shit in it. There is a rap battle bit about how the entire they name Quito, which is the capital of Ecuador, um, and how it's going to be bathed in blood. Wow! And all women will be crying. They have, when they play Ecuador at rugby, it's going to be huge. But for now, they're just going to have to deal with beating New Zealand. So there we are. <laughs> so, okay, this is again actual lyrics in the Argentine anthem. So Caracas is the capital of Venezuela, right? Don't you see them spreading sad through Caracas, mourning and weeping the deaths? Don't you see them devouring as wild animals or people who people who surrender to them? To you, is it dares Argentines. It is. They're saying we're going to kill everyone in Venezuela. It's really long. It's nine verses for the chorus. I, I hate to be that guy, but this kind of it kind of makes Pablo Matera's comments. It puts them in context a little bit. Doesn't yeah, it? they they just start listing more and more capital cities. Wow, it keeps it going on. It just becomes a geography quiz at this stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your Cardiffs, your Belfast, your Dublin. <laughs> is there a verse that says I'm going to get in a car and run over everyone from Tbilisi? <laughs> No, no, there's not. Okay, um, but they do, they do refer to unelected bureaucrats in Brussels. So that's surprising. What an unusual brilliant answer. wings at one point, which suggest, which you know explains Amrosino and him off. Yeah, nice. They've okay. No, they've changed they, the modern version. They now sing for sporting events is largely changed to now basically okay. just say, "Hail Argentina, we're great. Uh, let us be crowned in glory, or we will die with glory." Okay, fair okay, enough. Okay, they've shortened it out and they've cut out all the bits about killing everyone in Venezuela. Uh, that's a message is... we can get behind. Good. That's, that's good. <laughs> yes. We, that <laughs> we, on the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective podcast, we endorse Venezuela as a concept. Yes, yes. Um, we would rather, and I want this to be public knowledge, we would rather everyone in Ecuador was not bathed in blood. Yeah. In fact, if you are in Ecuador and you are currently bathed in blood as you listen to this podcast, Sort it out right now. Yes. You're recreating 300 in the streets. <laughs> While people are, you know, putting headphones on your ears, making you listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, Kate Blanchett's running around. We have had listeners in Ecuador. Okay. It doesn't look like we've ever had listeners in Venezuela. Okay. Um, That's because they're all so dead. They've all been killed by true. bloody Condipomi. Um, Should we go back to the rugby? Sure. Let's do it. So, in the first half, Juan Imhoff scores maybe the worst non-penalty try of the World Cup so far. <laughs> sure, it's a nice finish and everything, but he does, like, a really, like, bland handoff. And Urjikashvili, the fullback, just doesn't look like he's at all making an effort to actually get him to the ground. And it is a very easy try. And if not for that, Georgia would have gone in, what, 8-0 up at half-time? Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's it's just baffling. I mean, urgent catch really generally is baffling. We'll come on to that a little bit later. But that tackle attempt is one of those that makes you think, like, I could have made that tackle. just completely upright. He's yeah. just trying to walk into him in the hope that he'll stop. Yeah. And we know that Imhoff's a good finisher, mm. but he hardly had to work for that one, but did he? It's a bit It's a bit like an enemy in Super Mario Bros, where they were just trying to walk into Mario in order to do damage to it. <laughs> it's like, that's how he's thinking. That's how he seems to think that the tackles Maybe. work. What maybe he's like an expert at the like the Rugby World Cup 2011 video game or Rugby 08 or something mm. because on those you just have to with conviction run into your opposition and they will be tackled yeah or there'll at least be a tackle attempt maybe he thinks that if you make contact and if you run decently at somebody they will just fall over rather than just thinking yeah let's just run at him oh wait no I've got to actually wrap my arms around him and pull him to ground haven't I or or maybe he is six goombas in a trench coat like Muppet Man. Maybe he is. Well, that explains as well, because he misses a kick just next to the posts yeah. uh, in the first half. And I just... He's only got stumpy Goomba legs. He's yeah, just really exactly. struggling to kick it. When he missed that kick, I just thought, you have got to be kidding me. We've all we've been through in this pool. <laughs> I, think, I think the reason he's so afraid of tackling uh, Imhoff is I think he's still reeling from the handoff. I think he is on the receiving end of from Horacio Aguja in the second or third minute. Mm. Where Aguja hands him off with such ferocity that he he himself falls over when he could score. I think it's the world's first example of a try saving handoff. He's through. <laughs> he hands himself. He hands him off so well he then falls over instead of running in to score. And he must have still been reeling from that. I feel. I think he's also equally amazed that Contepomi actually passed to him in that first break. <laughs> but that was that was one of those classic passes that Contepomi and Parise would give. Because they look great in slow motion. That's true. Like, he's not looking there and he sumptuously just taps it on out of his hands, really yeah. softly, just as you receive in the ball. And it was it was like one of the most selfish passes you'll see. Yeah. It's what happens immediately after that pass, though, that's the real elephant in the room, isn't it? Because that's when Alexo Gugava, the wing, in his first mm. appearance at the tournament, decides to spear Contepomi off the ball. <laughs> Right in front of Alain Roland, a spear tackle right in front of Alain Roland in October 2011 that isn't even a penalty live. <laughs> now, I've moved on from what happened three weeks later, but on that moment, it was not a penalty. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, he was banned for five weeks in the aftermath, but it's a good terrible tackle. But at the time, absolutely nothing. Haven't we, Robbie, you'll be able to probably confirm this, but there mm. have. That Alan Rowland has missed another spear tackle at some point so far this World Cup, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Because I'm sure we made a joke about it on an episode before that Alan Rowland missed. Because I'm pretty sure there was a spear tackle from a team in red of Alan Rowland refereeing. Oh, I yeah, say it was that, was, that was Tonga, it. yeah, against France, yeah. did one. And just got a yellow card for it, I think. Just no one cared. Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah, there's a yellow card on Vance Montclair still. Yeah. I'm sure there was a Alan Rowland one. Because it, it, it's just a theme, you know, because it's not going to lead to anything in this World Cup yeah. when it builds into the knockout stages. They, they, they never suddenly clamped down in the semi-final. I can't yeah. imagine that ever happening. No, not a chance. How how did that land in that bar in Durham, or wherever you were in Durham, I suppose, at, what, 8am? There were, I think there were three, there were about 10 of us, and mm. I think three of us were Welsh. And I remember thinking, oh no, I think you'll probably get a yellow for this. Because, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it is just so clearly a red 10 years <laughs> yeah. after the event. But I remember at the time thinking, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take the yellow, it's fine, never mind. 
and I remember it just flashing up on the screen because you, you never see the red card, do you? Yeah. You just see it flash up. Yeah. Sam Warburton red card. I remember thinking, oh, no, <laughs> that's a terrible decision. Oh, no, yeah. what's going on? And I had just about gotten over it. But then when I saw that Gagava tackle that went, <laughs> I remember thinking, I remember thinking at the time, this has mm. happened. It hasn't been called up on this tournament. Yeah. And having watched this game back 10 years later, I've, I've realised that, yes, it did very much happen when that referee was even on the field. <laughs> yeah. But I'm over it now. I'm sure we all are. Yeah. Um, we all claim we are. I think I've just about entered the second stage of grief. <laughs> yeah. I think it would have been helped by Andre Pollard missing that penalty. Yeah, it would have been but nice. But it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, we'll um, get there. Can we, on a lighter note, talk mm. about Amorosino, please? Yes, let's. that's much nicer. There's a point about 15 minutes into the game that clearly Amorosino is bored of how the game is going, yeah. and so he just makes this decision after having done a couple of nice kicks downfield, one where he managed to pin it all the way into the 22, and then eventually he just thinks, you know what, you lot are boring, and just decides that he's going to step around everybody, and he mm. has this really nice counter attack where he feeds the ball back inside to Imoff eventually. The ball then spills out. And it's Abu Saritze, the Georgian captain, who boots it downfield. And again, Amorosino goes down on it. And you can see the look on his face is saying, right, I'm going to drop on this ball, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to step everybody and score from my own 22. And Kamalatze just really stupidly just flops on him and gives away mm. a stupid penalty. And Amorosino, the whole time, is clearly thinking about taking a quick tap and just thinking, like, why, why am I the only one that's trying here? <laughs> there's two points I want to pick up on on that. First one is there's a moment not long before that where I think Amrosino, in a combination of boredom at the way the game's going and overconfidence in the try against Scotland the previous week, yeah. tries to go from his own 22 and gets really well oh, met. Oh, yeah, he gets battered by Gogodza, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he kind of, he looks up, he goes, I can dig him, it's a forward. And no, no, no you can't. He gets driven back like five metres, doesn't he? Like, onto was... his, like just out from his own line. That is funny. That is, it's the one humbling moment for Amorosino in this whole World Cup. Because yes. otherwise he is stepping men at will in every game he's played. And yet, at this point, Gorgots is just like, I've been watching you. I've done my analysis <laughs> on you. I know that you're quick. So, guess what? And then just gobbles him up. I don't think he's even that advanced. I think he just looks at him and goes, lunch. <laughs> Small human, gods are hungry. <laughs> yeah, you can't even get the memory, you know, because I, I have a vague memory that this hmm. was the first time I'd ever heard the phrase "exit strategy" during commentary <laughs> really? during this World Cup. Mm. I think I remember Andy Gummersall saying it and just thinking, what, "What on earth is an exit strategy? What is this? What is this rugby management speak that you've engaged in?" And uh, yeah. I think that, I think that was the first point where. I don't know, maybe that was the first moment in time where kind of rugby analytical jargon that professionals use was beginning to seep into commentary and uh, mm. and the like. But yeah, I do remember hearing, I think it was Gummersall saying that and thinking, what are you talking about? It's called playing mm. rugby <laughs> strategy. <laughs> There's a lot of things Andy Gummersall says in this World Cup that have made us go, what are you talking about that we've touched upon in previous episodes? There's, there was one in particular where uh, he claimed that he'd bet all the money in the world on Napoleone Langer scoring some try. <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh, jargon about how much he loves Sonny Bill uh, throughout the, the mm. pool stage. There's a lot of stuff that's very questionable, although but, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. I think it's a really interesting thing, this World Cup, as you're saying, because there's the beginning of that kind of uh, extra strategy and a lot of sort of... You're seeing some teams are running 
quite nicely aligned backlines by today's standards, you know. But they're still doing that thing where we talk about playing deep and flat and where there's a couple of points in this game where Argentina is sort of like 20 metres behind the game line in order to run a backline move because they haven't figured out screen runners yet. Yeah. There's one thing that shocks me is that Georgia's main playoff 10 was give the ball to 10, who then gives it to 12, and that's it. There's no yeah. deception. There's not even It's not even going direct to 12 off 9. Like, that is their best play, is just crash ball off 10 and then go from there. Hope hope for the best. <laughs> to be fair, that's also the Scarlet's best play at the minute. <laughs> it's just they... not the done thing for decoy. You know, you, you, you can't tell the opposition what you're not doing. You've got to let them know exactly what you're doing. It's just not the done thing to... To hide your your motives when, when attacking, <laughs> there's no rugby values in yeah. that. No, values. <laughs> William Webellis is looking down on you and shaking his head. There's wouldn't find me doing a switch. No, just <laughs> the, the, written on the walls of every rugby clubhouse in the UK, you have discipline, sportsmanship, um, integrity, and I can't remember the rest. I should because I'm a juniors coach, but. <laughs> Last thing on there is telling the opposition your game plan. Yes, lack of decoy, absolutely. Yeah, to get on the mock play. It's like when Bernard Jackman was Dragons coach, and he'd do like halftime analysis on other teams and bring up points he'd noticed about them, like on Leinster before they played Leinster on the TV coverage. And he went, "Great, we know we know what your game plan you're coming with next week, guys." You know, you're scraping the barrel as a pundit when you're having to reach into your coaching pocket aren't you but no, no you why if you're a professional coach i know the dragons are on a shooting project who so probably needs a second job alongside like i'm pretty sure dean ryan works in the shop on wednesdays but why why would you be taking punditry job if you're a coach in that competition like can you imagine michael checker having done commentary at the world cup that yes, would be fun yeah. but well, yeah. it would have been better if it was like phil davis <laughs> And saying like, oh yeah. yeah, the one thing we're going to do against New Zealand next week is this. Uh, we're going to drop a load of goals. <laughs> we're going to pick Lobster, the greatest 10. You know what? Speaking of, during this game, I just kind of realised how much I miss Namibia. Because <laughs> it feels like we said goodbye to them really early on uh, yeah. in that game against Wales. That was the last game. And I, I miss them. I miss Tynes Kotzer. I want to know how he's doing. But I've oh. missed the... Sorry, I was just making. No, that. please. Oh, please. yeah, yeah. I, we, I think it's it's your turn to. Which game yeah. was, was it this World Cup where he did he slot three drop goals in the first fifteen yep. minutes? Was that, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, against Fiji. Fiji. Yeah. You don't. You don't. Well, I mean, clearly you do forget details of that, but you don't forget that happening as yeah. a consequence. Yeah, it's the, one of the most sort of under talked about things in rugby in the last ten years or whatever because it's so remarkable and yet it happened and then everyone just kind of thought, okay. We'll move on from yeah. that game. And that's that's part of why we wanted to start this podcast, I suppose, isn't it? So we could look back on games like this, mm. because there's a few of them throughout this World Cup that are just kind of forgotten about. And Fiji Namibia was one of those. That I'm sure when we get to the end of the pool stage, we'll talk about sort of our favourite games or whatever. But it, that is definitely one of them that most sticks with me. I'm aware that we've completely digressed, but... No, that's fine. I just miss successful kicks at goal, you know? <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And oh, you were the person that pointed out on Twitter that Matthew Jalabert's drop goal in the, the Automation Cup was only the second successful drop goal of last year. Wow. Yeah, the other one was by Belgium, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, I think Belgium and... Uh, what was his name? Is his name Alan Williams? He does yes. have a very well-sounding name, but, yes. he plays for Belgium, but he is very Belgian, I believe. <laughs> I think it's him and Jalibert were the two drop goals. And that was uh, it in a full at that point. Full calendar year. Are you are you just keeping an eye on that the whole time? On how many drop goals are scored? Yeah, yeah. Just wake up every morning. Just just have a listen. See any 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 drop goals? No, can't can't feel any drop goals. Sometimes just, you can just you feel the. The back of your hand tingle. And just a little shake. Oh, there's a drop goal <laughs> in the area. <laughs> someone in the Curry Cup must have just hit one. Absolutely. From 70 metres on the high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you think that you've just sensed one, but actually it's just Franz Stein's booted a kick and it's just gone over your head and he's planning to go yeah. all the way back to South Africa in a bit. Someday I want to see him go, go all out and just see how far he can kick from in a game. Yeah. I want him to just try and line one up from his 22. Just why not? One day it should happen, like on his last game. Are there any downhill grounds? Because that'll help. You need a slightly downhill Ooh. ground. Tailwind. 90% Hyper. of grounds in England. I was about to say, like Market Harbour. Find his own boat <laughs> to the other one. See if he can, can pull it off. like Market Harbour FC to South Africa so he can play at altitude. And then just have Franz Stein line up kicks from his own goal line. Like they've got a... They they win a pet turnover penalty on their own line, and France just lines it up for free. I think that's a good shout. Yeah. So back to rugby. Do we fancy um, talking about, sure. about rugby? So Urgent Cafe misses this penalty from just next to the post. I've also got written in my notes at some point. Amarasino does nice. I don't know what I'm referring yeah. to there, but he makes a really lovely run at one point. Then he does another in the lead up to the Quantapomi try. Where he then throws oh, he an does offload. that nice little offload back inside, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he does yeah. a step someone, throws the offload back inside. But the point I was going to say was that with a couple of minutes left of the half, mm. there is a lay-lo, because that is the word for everything in yes. Georgian. So uh, the winger, I believe it's Gaguva, who you it's pointed Tudua. out. Uh, oh, Tadua. Tadua. Uh, chips it forward for Kamaladze. And at first, on the first angle, you think, oh, that's class, fair play. That's a really <laughs> nicely weighted chip inside. And then you watch the replay and see that Tadu is being smashed and it's a total fluke. <laughs> that the ball hits the complete wrong part of his foot. He's actually trying to chip it like forward to the try line. And it happens to land perfectly in Kamalatsa's hands, who runs it in. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does. there are suspicions of fluke. And having watched Tadu play quite a bit, he does that a lot. That kind of just hacking it towards the try line in hopes someone's chasing. Yeah. And this time it came off. It was kind of his niche, wasn't it? That, like, yeah. The really that one thing Alessandro Tuolangi did really well 
one of the many things he did well, where he'd yeah. kick it forward. The one part of the kicking game, he'd kick it forward, and then he'd absolutely batter whoever it was <laughs> was going to come onto the kick. Like to yeah. do a thought, he had that as his one like personality trait was I'll kick it forward and then see what happens. And who was it that oh, there was a winger that played for Italy quite recently was good was like a solid winger who used to do that every time he got the ball. And I've forgotten his name now. Oh, I'm not sure. There was a period oh. where Bellini did that. Yeah, no, it wasn't Bellini. It was Bellini sort of post this. He, oh. now, it'll sure. come to me in the middle of yeah. the night. But yeah. But yes, no, it's a it's a really good, well-taken try. Elgin, I don't know, sorry, were you about to say something? It, well, I'm going to say that, you know, this is the centre-field kick that Barnes, right. Canberra, Bear at Twickenham with Lloyd mm. Williams at Twickenham. And this is the one in between. Yes. This is the centre-field kick that binds those three great centre-field kick tries and this is the one everyone's, <laughs> everyone's forgotten about <laughs> we need to get this one on the same pedestal as Canberra Barrow and Lloyd Williams what, what an incredible exclusive club that uh, Alexandra Tondua is joining there I mean nobody can say Lloyd Williams is one with a fluke because he is a genius left winger and should yeah. go down in history of Welsh rugby for that kick and alone. will will yeah. and will that will be one of the that is one of the moments that you'll still be watching in 100 years time yeah if you know that's going to be there. With I intend the to still Phil be alive. Twenty-three years old. There's also an incident a few minutes before this where Tadua again is great, where he does one of the longest carries in terms of seconds for very few meters made, where he has the ball for about ten seconds and makes all of about ten meters, but it just goes on for so long. He's out wide, basically no one's helping him, but he just does like a one-man maul. And somehow just turns into a sort of mini Hamish Watson and uh, manages to keep the ball in the air for a very long time without really moving anywhere. It's it was quite remarkable to see. <laughs> mini Hamish Watson is such an oxymoron. I love it. <laughs> Usually that's called Jamie Ritchie, who's not actually mini. He's actually kind of Hamish Watson sized. He's just taller. He's just a he's a big lad. You know, I I once sat next to Jamie Ritchie on a bus, and I can tell you, he's a big lad. Fair play. Good anecdote, a, to be fair. There's a showbiz anecdote for you. Yeah. I remember walking past Reese Priestland in Cardiff, who is, oh. you know, you'd think he is very much on the smaller end of a rugby player in terms mm. of, you know, emptiness. I remember thinking, yeah, yeah, you are huge. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> whenever you meet they're, any, all, they're all massive. Fair yeah. Enough. <laughs> any player in person is enormous. Oh, my God. Josh Navidi's arms. And oh, Aaron wow. arms. Any recollection of what Reese Priestland was up to in Cardiff? No, I, I think it's just a casual stroll. Uh, okay. Look at it. Nothing, nothing untoward going on. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing of 2011 brilliance going on. Just a man oh. at his business. I feel. That's where. Whereabouts in Cardiff? Uh, I think it was just outside St David's too. I think it was quite okay. then. I think he was going there. He, he didn't have any, you know, no, no highlights in his hair at the time. Just an upstanding member of society going, going about his daily business. It feels like we're questioning you about a suspicious yeah, individual. Yeah, this is the police, police okay, investigation. Into... Recent best friend. There we are. I've revealed it now. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time with Reese Priestland. There, I didn't want to admit that on the podcast, but there we are. <laughs> I can remember the only rugby player because I remember being really surprised by how massive Tommy Bow was when we met him as mm. when we were like teenagers or whatever. Yeah, but 12, the 13. only one who I've looked at and thought 
okay, you look like normal person size, was Pat Lambie and saw him mm. play for the Barbars and he sort of walked past us. And I just remember thinking, oh, you, you don't look absolutely massive. And because like, you look him on the TV, he doesn't look tiny. But like even mm. meeting Shane Williams, you could, uh, granted we were up closer to him, but like, you could see like how muscular he was all over. Yeah. But Pat Lambie I didn't have that with. Granted, he mm. was stood next to Namani Nandolo, I think. So that might have slightly changed things, but... I, I had a day in Japan in the World Cup, uh, the day before we played Uruguay. I was just walking around the kind of town centre and I realised I was clearly walking near where Wales were staying because all the Wales players were sort of dawdling around. So, and I happened to be wearing like, it wasn't a Wales shirt, but it was like a shirt with the WAU logo on it or something. It was like one of their like Japan, World Cup, apparel, whatever. And yeah, and I just kept passing like, I was like, oh, there's Dylan Lewis. And who was he with? Um, who's with another card? Oh, Thomas Williams. The two of them were just sort of walking around by a shop together. And I think there's this weird thing in Japan, because it's the only place I've ever been where I was tall. <laughs> and so there's this kind of thing of just like, whenever you pass anyone else that's fairly tall, that you're kind of like, oh, you know, just like, oh, it's another white person. So I, they weren't standing out there in the same way when I walked past even like Bradley Davis and Adam Beard. And I, I, I walked past Bradley Davis in the street in Cardiff once as well. So huh. I, I feel like I'm basically close acquaintances. Like if we had three DSs on us, we'd be up to like quite advanced street pass levels. <laughs> so yeah, there, again, not a fun anecdote, but there you go. Um, at one point, as I was walking like directly opposite Reese Patchell, who was walking hand in hand with his girlfriend, he sort of looked at me, he clocked me and he put his head right down as like, I don't want to be recognised by this guy. I'm just having a casual walk. And oh, I obviously really? just, yeah, I just kept walking. Like, away shirt or anything? anything. Yeah, yeah. I was had like a WAU right. logo on the shirt. Yeah. And he was clearly like he didn't want to be recognised, he just wanted to have a day out. And yeah. obviously I I think I clearly clocked him. You know, I'd gone, Oh look, it's you don't see many ginger people in Japan. Sure. So you've gone, Oh, it's it's Reese Patchell and he kinda of put his head down and was very you know yeah. yeah. Uh, I wasn't have said anything anyway because I was sort of letting people go back. Sure. Day, but yeah. Sure. And um, you hate people coming up to you all the time, don't you? And uh... I no, I don't I don't mind. I don't mind at all. I no, genuinely I'm of course don't. joking. Um, um yeah. Yeah. Basically, if anyone ever sees Robbie in the street, please spit at him. No, don't spit at him. That's that's just <laughs> poor etiquette. Yeah, that was what Bradley Davis did both times. <laughs> right, we've got off it again. Yes. Well, speaking of, because we a minute ago, uh, Elgin, you spoke about that long carry that uh, Todua did. Speaking of things that took a long time, the second half is started by a scrum, which takes six minutes. Which I skipped over, thankfully. I watched this on YouTube and my right-hand arrow button has never been used more than that to just skip it as quickly as I possibly could. There's just a point where I have in my notes written, finally, Georgia have kicked it to a Morosino directly. So I, <laughs> I think at this point he must have done a good counter-attack or something, but he very much is the lord and saviour of this game. Not to keep going back to him, but what else do we go to? Can I mention... Our old and dearest friend, the Georgian commentators. Yes, oh. please do. Uh, Elgin, I don't know if this is your first time listening to Georgian commentary. I, uh, it was, and it won't be the last. Because <laughs> the only words I understood were Jonah Lomu. Yes. Was, uh, hospital Park. Yes. Was, yeah. uh, there were very few moments where nothing was said. Uh, yeah. They were being paid by the word. Uh, and there were there were two moments in very quick succession in the second half where he just kind of lets out a noise. I think it was at the point where just a really big tackle happened. He just sort of goes like that twice in the Scooby Doo, which I have written down. I can't. How did I write it down? I think no, I wrote it down. Say. 
I think I wrote it down like it's like someone trying to start a chainsaw was I think what they wrote. It does not do justice, but uh, no, they were very good value indeed. Yeah. Do you want, do you know the sound he made after he as he began to calm down after the Georgian try? <laughs> so he sort of shouts a lot. They do all the shouting. Both the competitors shout over each other, and then he goes as they begin to quiet down a bit, and he goes. <laughs> there was a lot of clapping. There was quite a few bits of, like, I don't know if slapping thighs or hands, I don't know, but there was, there was some background noise of that. Such an odd thing to do in a commentary. Why are you clapping? Do you think if the main commentator was Scooby-Doo, that was hmm. the point maybe when the other guy started laughing and revealed his mask? Took no, that, that off was... And... That was the that door closing it. as they're running between them back and forth <laughs> from one side of the screen to the other. But the, they also just kept shouting over each other whenever George did anything. It wasn't like they had a main commentator and a, you know, a co-commentator, a yeah. colour comms or whatever. They just seemed to both think they were the main commentator and shout over each other all the time. Only when Georgia were doing stuff, they would actually shout. Oh, yeah. When yeah, yeah, Argentina yes. did anything, like when Argentina scored tries, they were just kind of like, oh, look, it's him off. Well, that's it. But the... So they spend the first half hour just chatting casually. Like they're not interested in the game, you know. Stuff's happening. At one point, they say Jonah Loma, and it really stands out. Like your ears tune into like, oh, this is language. It's not like avant-garde sounds, you know. I'm not listening to, to Mika in the shapes. And then as they're casually chatting, the ball gets out to him off, and no tackle takes place. Um, and it sounds like someone's just put a dog in the commentary booth and shot it. <laughs> <laughs> they both just completely trail off and become really sad in the handful of words they're saying. I did also make note of the fact that this is, of course, not the first instance of hearing these guys say the word hospital pass. Yeah. So I was very glad to hear that again, to just have it reaffirmed. But they, they say it a couple of times in quick succession. There's a hospital pass, and one of them says hospital pass, and the other one goes, presumably the Georgian for yes, which I presume is Lalo. Lalo and then, yeah. then he says hospital pass. And they're like, yeah, I got it. It's a hospital pass. Like, yeah, it's a hospital pass. Yeah. So to, to, to quickly move on, uh, after the Amrosino counterattack and everything, mm. there's a point where Argentina were given a few penalties in a row and their scrum off, Nicolas Vagaggio, who I will add, did not have a good game. <laughs> Within the first 15 minutes, he passed three or four balls to the floor and he decides, right, let's go up tempo because we're mm. safely ahead now. We're 11-7 up. We can look for a try, maybe, and see if we can extend that lead a little bit more. And he attempts this tap penalty where he just doesn't catch it. He taps it on his foot and it just goes into Alan Roland and then just kind of lands on the floor. And he tries to style it out by picking it up and sidestepping somebody. But it just doesn't look at all fancy. <laughs> I miss that. I miss that completely. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that was in the lead-up to Contepomi's try, in fact. So right. I think it was a couple of phases after that that Contepomi throws this ridiculous dummy. There was a lot of this game where I just phased out and yeah. I kind of tuned back in and was like, I've got to do a podcast on this. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to remember this. Um, and I've got to apologise to Elgin for for for, for the, the choice. Um, I thought this game was going to be more fun than it was. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Elgin, the game itself? I mean, my overwhelming take away from this was that Georgia really should have won because Argentina yeah. made so many efforts. Georgia, it was there for Georgia to take. I mean, they were leading at halftime. I think I really, and now, you know, I'm not saying that they would have won with a different ref, but I'm implying that because the penalty count was 17-8 in, against Georgia. Wow. Uh, and it was like, but, but, but Georgia 
went through phases better. You know, they, yeah. the, the statistic that they chose seven plus phases is the statistic on, on screen. Yeah. I think it said Georgia did that four times, went through seven plus. Argentina mm. did it twice. Argentina made so many more handling errors, made so many more turnovers. Uh, so it was a real shame that Georgia couldn't hold on. Um, yeah. But you could see by the end, you know, the, the last try in particular, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit more depth, well, perhaps right now, when when Imhoff just hands someone off so easily, you can see yeah. really by the end, Georgia were really fatigued, um, and then he, he hoofs it down the wing for for Gozio to score. The interesting thing that came up with with Imhoff for both of his tries was that he was still referred to as Juan Jose Imhoff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to know when he dropped when he dropped the Jose, uh, and Ledesma is referred to as Ledesma Aracena as well. So he's got both of his surnames at the end. So. You know, I don't know what's going on with Argentinians' names, but sometimes they're dropping them, sometimes they're keeping them. You know, Guido Petty is the one these days. Do you yeah, keep the? Yeah. Is it Pat pa, pa de Gazibal? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he's got it, sometimes he doesn't. You know, it's a it's a minefield, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'd really appreciate some clarity from World Rugby about uh, when we should be using all three names, or, or sometimes just two for these Argentinian yeah. players. So we yeah. can appreciate them all the more. Rodriguez Gorachaga is another one. Yeah, I don't I, know if it's just Rodriguez or yeah. one that always sticks with me. Uh, Martin Selzo was something else as well, wasn't he? Was he? Um, he was Martin Selzo something. Or other. There's uh, the Fiji- a lot of Fijian players obviously have shortened names. So like Seremiah Bai's real name is Seremiah Bai Kaniku. Metuasela Talambula's real name is Talambula Majana, I think it is, because his name needed to be longer. And the one that baffles me is Domenico Wakani Barotu's name is longer than that. I don't know what it is that's added on to the end, but there is, his name is shortened to Wakani Barotu, which mm, I just find but, funny. The Argentine thing, and I'm sure this is... I just don't know it is a cultural thing. Um, and I'm sure it is. I'm sure it, there's, you know, it's a tradition or something. Yeah. But there tends to be a second surname. You know, There yeah. tends to be another name that's not on... And I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the, the, the thing. Because, again, Thomas Vallejos, uh, Sinali... There's, yeah. there's there's plenty of them out there. Lucas yeah. Amorosino sometimes drops the Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like point of order on Ceremai and Bai as well. His full name is actually Kafili Legend Ceremai and Bai. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that is his full name. And we must remember that. Did he play for Kafili? I believe he did. Uh, I never knew that. The, 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 Fiji, the great Fiji team in Nonto 7, you had uh, Pontipri mm. Legend Nicky Little. Kafili mm. and Seremai and by one of the things I, I mean, love is a strong word, but when I look back into sort of late nineties Welsh rugby and to find that just almost every club has about three or four Tongan or Fijian players, yeah, like even for Cross Keys, even like down at the fourth and fifth tier, <laughs> they've got internationals playing for them. It's so bizarre. Yeah, Seremai uh, and Bai had a season at Cross Keys. Mm. Keys. Well, I. I love the thought of because you know I know Kafili. I've been to Kafili. There's not much to do, but I because I don't think I've been to Kafili since the Woolworth shut. But I don't think Seremiah Bai has either. So I can just imagine him going by the pick and mix. You know, they had quite a good collection of stickers for Panini albums. I reckon he'd have a good time in Kafili. Yeah, is Seremiah Bai's club history is he's played for the Eastern Suburbs, the mm-hmm. Tailevu Knights, Cross mm-hmm. Keys. Southland, Sacon Ruggets, Claremont Auvergne, you might have heard of them, <laughs> Castro Olympique, and Leicester Tigers. Okay, how many clubs over how many years is that? Because I was on Blood and Mud this week just gone, and we were there was a thing Lee brought up of 
trying to find the ultimate journeyman of the best kind of club to years ratio. Right. He played for eight clubs mm-hmm. across nineteen years. So he started That's in nineteen ninety seven and then finished in twenty sixteen. Bear in mind he also played for Fiji, the Pacific Islanders and the Pacific Barbarians. Mm. Oh, the Fiji Barbarians. Yeah, Fiji Barbarians, sorry. And I think he played for the actual Barbarians at some point, didn't he? Probably. The Fiji Barbarians were a club team, though, weren't they? They were then nominated as a second team. Were they? Okay. Oh, no, I'm thinking the Fiji Warriors, aren't I? Yes. Yeah, sorry, okay. I'm just reeling that I got my C's wrong for Ceremony Advice Clubs. I'm just going to have to take a few <laughs> minutes to get over that. I'm really sorry. You carry on talking can, while I get over it. We can you carry on. We can cut it all out if you want, if this is making you uncomfortable. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Thomas, Thomas Vallejo has quite a, a storied career. Mm-hmm. He's, he's Palmer, Harlequins, Scarlets, Pampas, Coca-Cola Red Sparks, Benetton, Stade Francais, Provence, USO, Nevers. So he's had a fairly big bunch. Mm. He was very varied career. If he was still going now, he would a thousand percent be an MLR. Oh, yeah. That he would, he would, would have just signed for, you know, like... The, the Gibronis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was going to call them the Austin Elite, then I remember they changed their name. So, yeah, we we landed on it there. What? I was just chuckling to myself, because when you Google Gilgronies, the first article is Austin Gilgronies. Why would a US rugby club name itself after a cocktail? <laughs> that is a great first article. Well he, have, have you read into that? Have you read into why it's called... Why they named it? Uh, I haven't. It sounds like you're about to tell us. Well, I can if you'd if you'd like to. Oh, um, it, basically, it's a guy who owns a massive chain of gyms in Australia. Uh, named a cocktail who's called Adam Gilchrist. Named a cocktail after himself. Then bought two MLR teams and tried to name them after cocktails he named after himself. Which is like the ultimate level of Donald Trumpish, like name, putting your name on billboards, putting your name on buildings, putting your name on planes. And I don't like that. I don't like because it's an incredibly male thing to do. Yeah. And I'm not a massive fan of that. I, I'm looking forward to there being a premiership team called like the Porn Star Martinis, you know? Yeah. That's the Connor O'Shea Harlequins. I don't know. It's, yeah. Good. <laughs> a moment of silence for that joke. There is a point in the second half where after four missed kicks at goal, Argentina finally see sense and give the long-range effort to Marcelo Bosch. I love this. And it's, he still misses. It's sheer commitment to the bit, isn't it? Yeah. Of like what this what this pool has become. Just a sheer procession of missed goal kicks. And they just decide, we've got 50 metres out. And, you know, the other 20 penalties that have occurred in this group <laughs> stage where we've tried to give it to somebody and they missed from 50 metres, let's just give it a go. And granted, at least they've given it to Bosch, who is... Yeah. In theory, the best goal kicker. But he misses it by miles. And he's closer to the corner flag than he is to the posts by the time the the ball's got to the goal line. So yeah, just sheer commitment uh, from Argentina to the whole thing of, haha, none of us can kick in this group. And then the thing I love about it is that he inexplicably nails the touchline conversion of Gossio's try. Just to round off this really horrible pool, which started with Chris Patterson missing between the posts. And Marcelo Bosch just goes, yeah, touchline, fuck that. (laughs) Because he was very much a long-range kicker specialist. Yeah. Like, he was not accurate, but he could boot it miles. And yet, you know, because he only really took shots from between the posts, no matter how far out they were. And then, yeah, apparently, incredible from the corner flag as well. Yeah. And it just felt like he was trolling everybody he's played in this pool. 
or watch. <laughs> yes. There is something fitting and unexpected about the last kick going over when it's yeah. a touchline conversion. It's a really difficult kick, yeah. Just With just the five left. missed kicks in this game. Okay. Um, which low. is quite low by this pool standards. Yeah. That's five kicks per team or uh, just overall? Yeah. Overall. Overall. Yeah. I think Georgia have a 100% record. Georgia nail their one no, shot at George, goal. George, oh, no, of course oh. they miss a penalty. No, they... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Georgia Cash really misses that. Yeah, easy one. I then like to imagine that at the end, when Georgia kick off to Argentina, former Mall, I think that Alfredo Lalan, who's come on at scrum half, is trying to go for a drop goal, but accidentally kicks the ball out for full time. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we mention the second M off try? You sort of mentioned oh, it a bit earlier. Oh. Um, no, it's not the second M off try. Sorry, the the Gozio try. But in my head, it's him off because I. Yeah. He did most of it. It was a very nice... It, it feels like, again, like a rugby 08 try, that, doesn't it? Yeah. Like he breaks was, the tackle. No, I was going to say, it's so rugby challenge. It looks like a rugby challenge try. Yeah. Because it's the same animation the of him breaking the tackle. Yeah. That's stabbing, stabbing a grubber along the touchline that someone else then overtakes him and scores from because there's no defender. It's so rugby challenge. That was my observation. It doesn't feel like an insanely quick decision to put the grubber in. It feels like mm. he's been in this position a billion times playing this video game, so he just yeah. knows that that's the correct thing to do to score a try. He knows the defender's patterns, yeah. and he does like the bullet time when he's yeah. he goes to put the grubber in. And it, it's perfect, lands perfectly, someone else overtakes him and scores. Um, scores their one try on their debut for Argentina. Okay, uh, do we have Elkin, do you have anything else to add? Anything else on the game? I just want to say on, on that, that Imhoff, not Imhoff try, but yeah. Imhoff try, Osio yeah. try, was two of the Argentina tries come from a switch between the outside players. Because the Imhoff try is like a little switch in the corner. And then mm. that one's a switch to Imhoff. And then the to do a 10 seconds, 10 meter carry was a switch as well. So this is just a great game for the two wide men switching, which should <laughs> happen more often. Nothing annoys me more than when a player is crabbing across and don't they don't do a switch with the winger to come back in? So to see that happen three times, twice immensely successfully, <laughs> one comically successfully, was just great to see all around. And I hope I hope more of it in 2021. I say <laughs> absolutely. This is the um, year of the switch. You heard it here. The year of the outside switch that potentially leads to Juan Emoff doing something. And don't forget, <laughs> if anyone listening is planning to do this on the first game of rugby back, tell the opposition you're going to do it. As yes, well. that's really that's important. important. Yeah, that's very important. No, do you go uh, William, do you have anything else to add, or should we um, move on to? No, we'll go to. Do... We'll go to. Yeah, do you want to do Dick of the Day first, or Argentine? No, or Georgian Leaving Party? We'll, we'll do the Georgian Leaving Party first. Why don't we? Yeah, okay. Because so. I, I want to get them out of the way because Georgia, you have been not great to watch this tournament. Yeah, no, they've not been a lot of fun. Are you listening to Kanye? No, no, no. No. No, it's uh, This Is America by Charles Gambino. Oh, of course it is. Uh, because he's from Georgia. Ah, nice. Nice. There you go. There's a, there's um, a, there's but a joke. Georgia have been fairly boring, but the one man who stood up has been Mamuka Gorgodze. So I, he's been a delight this tournament. So more of that, please, in 2015. And I think Merab uh, Kavirakashvili was very good. You know, I remain a big fan of him. Um, I haven't yeah. been put off him at all here. But there's yeah. been this kind of, you can tell the kind of team Georgia are, but there's a lack of sort of identity to them, you yeah. know? They're not their best selves at this World Cup, are they? No. You can see the sort of sparks of something, but it's so uninspired in the way they're going about yeah. it, you know? 
and they've probably kicked on in standard from 2007, but they don't have a moment like they did against Ireland where yeah. they could have pushed on and won. Yeah. Frankly, I don't really have much of a dick of the tournament. Other than, I suppose um, at the end of this game, uh, Richie Dixon is interviewed, who's the head coach, and he's, hmm. he says it's been an incredibly successful tournament and he feels really positive about it, even though they've won one game. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the only where I can lead from that. Oh no, the Georgia Dick of the Tournament is the, the commentators. <laughs> Who are too busy smoking to actually yeah. watch the game half the time. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on Georgia at all. or uh, I mean, the one thing that comes out of this game is that obviously whenever Georgia play, I, I hope Georgia play Wales, England, Scotland, Ireland, France far more often than they currently do. I want to see them playing them more mm. often. But it does really annoy me that every time they do play them, everyone goes, "Oh my god, have you heard how good Georgia's scrum is? They've got like a hundred, they've got like three hundred and fifty props in France, and they always talk about it as if, oh, England are going to be eaten alive at scrum time. Yeah, England are not going to be eaten alive at scrum time because England also have a good pack. It's just that the Georgia yeah. pack is very good comparative to everything else that they yeah. offer. So, yeah, and this game is a prime example of that because certainly in the second half with Ledesma Ayaza, um Mm. in the engine room I mean at times Georgia are getting walked over like they're not even there yeah. <laughs> which was yeah. sad to see I mean Argentina back then did have a tremendous pack and there were many occasions in that half where they were just getting absolutely walked over so you know I hope Georgia continue to improve their scrum but also you know continue to improve everything else and just you know play Wales and the like more often yeah yeah no, absolutely it's I... not a dick of the day for 2011 but it's a wish for the foreseeable future <laughs> yes and I think a lot of people get caught up in that period where David Zirikashvili was the best tight end in the world and so he was dominating scrums yeah. and people have then gone oh so the whole that must Georgia be Georgia pack. because yeah. they've got 8 billion props who are of professional standard Yeah, and as you say then no one else from elsewhere and I suppose it is with that that we say Lalo to Georgia <laughs> okay should we move on to Dick of the Day and Man of the Match sure. for this game? Should we start with Man of the Match? Let's. Because, frankly, for me, you've probably guessed it's Amorosino. He's been the one lease of life that got got me through this game. So, yeah, I don't think I need to say much more. Yeah, uh, Lucas and Amorosino, there's, there's one other contender I considered, uh, which is Mario Desma for after the Georgian try. He just starts a fight in their huddle. As everyone's coming around and celebrating, he gets in there and just sort of shoves people in the face just to break it up. And I thought that is an incredible moment of shit, Asri, that would be worth Man of the Match if it weren't for Amorosino. But enough. yeah, Lucas Gonzalez, Amorosino. Me and... I think, according to Wikipedia, Leguizamon is the official Man of the Match. And I think you, know, mm. you mentioned before how, was it a fan fan voted? Yes. Yeah. Man of the match? yeah. And just seeing Leguizamon there as the official Man of the Match was great to see because... Everything he achieved in his career meant nothing because of the London Irish dive. Yes. <laughs> where he knocked on. Like no, no one remembers anything he did in his career because of one blooper video. And I feel yeah. really bad for Juan Manuel Leguizamo. <laughs> <as a result laughs> it's not even the worst swan dive in world rugby. No. Even though he can drop it. The worst has to be Shane Williams against Fiji in 07. Do you think? He does a swan dive when Wales are losing to Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> Swan diver, Wales lose to me. He also, I think, I remember this at the time. Well, I think I remember that. Did he, didn't he have a really bad arm 
wrist injury at the time. And I remember thinking during the World Cup that he kept on knocking it on all the time. Mm. And I remember thinking, this is Shea Williams is done. This is the end of Shea Williams' career. He can't catch anymore. He's got an arm injury. He's doing swan dives, which just does not help his arm at all. And then the following year, he was the best player in the world. So I was completely wrong as a 14-year-old. So that's fine. <laughs> it's amazing they didn't let either of us as 14-year-olds be selected, did they? Absolutely. No. I was calling for Mike Phillips to never play for Wales again just before this World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the worst swan dive I've 14, ever seen yeah. was by Joe Van Niekerk playing Joe for Toulon, yeah. where he slid, tried to do a swan dive, realised he couldn't get off the floor because he's not athletic enough, so he slid on his knees with his arms still in the air, and it's the most horrific-looking thing I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. That always comes to mind as the worst dive I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so your man of the match, are you saying Leguizamon? Uh, no, I'm probably going to go for... I'm actually going to go for... I thought Ayerza was great. And like I said, <laughs> yeah. they absolutely marmalised them up front. And, you know, he was wearing a colourful headguard. So I know <laughs> everything he did. So, Plus points. So, because he plays for the Banoth F- uh, RFC, I'm going for... Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. And Dick of the Day, do we do we have any contenders that aren't the Georgian commentators? Surely Gagar. Where am I going? Only game of the tournament. Tip tackle. <laughs> Five-week ban. Yeah. You can't look beyond cool. it. That's <laughs> fair. That's very fair. I've got a few written down. I've got Marcelo Bosch, because he does this random pass to the floor for no, you know, mm. under no pressure at one point. There's a point where Mamuku Gorgonze tries a through-the-legs pass, and it just yes. puts his scrum off in all worlds of bother. This weird, inexplicable ginger scrum off who comes on for Georgia, who I didn't recognise, who doesn't have the best game. He kind of drops the ball a few times. But yeah, there's him. There's Vigajo for passing the floor all the time and then dropping that one quick tap. Uh, however, this is helped by doing an off-the-ball tackle on Amorosino and being a dick and not passing. But I've still not forgiven Felipe Contopomi for his offside against Scotland, so he's my dick of the day. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't blame you at all. Mind this, there's a moment in the first half, and this is one of my like free notes on the first half, where Georgia do a kick straight into touch, and Horatio Aguja is there, sort of takes it, he's considering the quick throw, he's sort of eyeing it up, all of that. Mm-hmm. Standard thing wingers always do, and then, you know, isn't going to do it. Um, and instead of doing the thing where he kind of drops it or gives it to the ball boy as the everyone's coming to form the lineup, he just boots it into the middle of the field. <laughs> like, he just turns and he just kicks the ball into the centre of the field. So that obviously play can't go on when there's a second ball on the pitch. And everyone has to stop and just like, can we, the, can we get the other ball off? And it's just, it's an outright dickish thing to do. <laughs> there's no reason for it. It'd be more, it'd be easier for him to just drop it behind him, next to him, anywhere. To give it to the ball boy, to give it to Ledesma, um, who's coming over to have a chat and throw it in. No, no, just boots it into the middle of the field. Thanks, Horatio. Thanks a lot. So I believe that is us, is it not? That is indeed us. Um, Elgin, where can people find you? Where can people find you on the Twitter's work, etc.? People want to hear, see more. People can find me on Twitter. I tweet about once every three months at, uh, at Welsh Minor, M-I-N-O-R. Um, so if you'd like to see me, yes, do my sporadic tweets. I can be found there. I can be found engaging politely with people because I have a, a very strong no-argument policy. Uh, so come and find me there. If you want just people to tweet random stuff about late 1990s Welsh rugby. Or indeed Fijians. <laughs> or um, indeed no, Fijians with, I... the wrong club, with the wrong club that they played for. <laughs> Sorry to the right, up on the right The right county, at least, just about somewhat, almost not quite. I, I will say, no, very good follow. 
very worth it for, if nothing else, the time you listed all players that have been compared to Joan Alomu in headlines, um, <laughs> which remains a... The Autumn Cup was the jumping of the shark for uh, for Joan Alomu headlines because, is it, uh, was it Sandro Svenidze, the, the young Georgia wing, who was called Lomu-like yeah. in a headline? And uh, they they just need to never call anyone the next Joan Alomu ever again, please. It's always going to happen. It's... <laughs> You it's might need to look for any wing who's over six foot tall. It's it's that that Japanese <laughs> butterfly meme, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the next Jonah Lomu. <laughs> you might need to look back through the commentary on this game and see in what context they said the words Jonah Lomu. See if there was anything yeah, they, in there. They were they were comparing all thirty players to Jonah Lomu. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks again, Elgin, for coming on. Hugely appreciated that, and uh, mm-hmm. thank you for making this final slog of Georgia a bit more interesting and hopefully if we have you back at some point we'll give you a, a bit more an exciting game <laughs> please do thank you very much give me right. Australia 6 France nil from 2012 I'll take that oh one. yes what a game that was I yeah. lo- I, one of my favourite rugby ge- one of my favourite genre of rugby game is low scoring and very wet because I know people always complain about, oh, rugby's low-scoring, boring. England-Scotland, 2026 Nations, in that wind, I adore mm. this. They were 80 of the yeah. best in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, I that love was it a, when like, it's windy. Because that was so far in one direction. It was such... Because neither team had any idea how to how to manage it. Eventually it came down to George Ford having a moment of going, no one can catch this thing, so I'll just stab it down the middle. And that's what won the game. That, I really enjoyed that game. Yeah. In uh, in December 2019, I was lucky enough to go to Beeritz Grenoble in mm. uh, in Beeritz, um, and it was just one of the wettiest and muddiest evenings I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> and whichever team was on the left side as we were looking just had no chance of getting out whatsoever. There was one point where the fly half kicked it and it went a yard <laughs> because there was just nothing they could do in the in the, the mud and the wind. So more of that type of rugby, please. Okay, noted. We know your niche. Officially the wet weather correspondent. Wet weather, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Elgin. Thank you very much, William. Thank you very much to everyone listening, to, to Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, and Tell your to, Venezuelan friends. Thank, thank you to um, everyone in Venezuela who is still alive and survived the onslaught from Marcos Ayerza. Uh, when he came round and killed your family. Uh, I hope you are well, and we'll see you next time as we head towards the end of the group stage, and we will be looking at New Zealand's... I wouldn't say whether they win or not, but New Zealand played Canada. They need a, to win by, teams. what, 65? Oh, no, 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 sorry, need to come within Zealand, 65 of Canada. New Zealand, to get yeah, need to come within 65 of Canada to qualify. Canada need a tri-bonus point win over New Zealand <laughs> to get out of the group. Come on, Canada. So, could go either way. Could go either way. No spoilers, though. No, we won't spoil anything. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if Connor Trainer not currently in the team, but we'll see how that goes if he sure. has to be drafted in. Yeah. Um... All right. Yeah, thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.